0: Let us pray together the Wesleyan prayer, which we have been praying for a few weeks now. Uh, As we enter the new year, we thought it would be just a special time to kind of renew our covenant with Christ. Uh, Or if this is something as we're growing, uh, or if we're just kind of looking into what a relationship with Christ is, it's a good prayer to kind of have under your belt. Uh, So just take a second to read it, and then we will pray this prayer together. Let us pray. I am no longer my own but yours, O Lord. Put me to what you will. Rank me with who you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by you or laid aside for you, lifted up by you or brought low by you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily. Yield all things to your pleasure and disposal, and now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine, and I am yours. So be it. All right, I need to ask Jeff or somebody to hit the lights, because we're going to start with a little video clip, um, and uh, we will uh, watch that, but see if, I don't know, somebody's there. Charlie, can you get the lights for me? Thank you. To go to the Past Lives Pavilion. Everybody talks about it. I don't know. Don't you want to see who you were? I hear some people don't like it. Oh, us. you'll love it. Plus, they have the greatest hot dogs there. What? Seriously, the best hot dogs in Judgment City is supposed to be over by the Hall of Records. You really love this eating thing, don't you? To be able to eat as much as you want never gain an ounce and feel great, please. reminds me of Disneyland. I hope we're tall enough. (laughs) When you were on Earth, didn't you ever feel like you might have been other people? Did you ever see yourself in another life? Never. You did? I think I did. I think I might have been a heavyset man at one time. Really? I doubt that. You never saw yourself as anything. Well, one time in college, I got really stoned, and I stared in this mirror for two hours, until I finally saw someone who looked Chinese but I think it was just me squinting. Please take the first available booth on the left. The show will begin in 30 seconds. Welcome to the Past Lives Pavilion. In a moment, you will be asked to place your right hand on the plate next to you. An image of yourself in a former life will soon appear. When you have seen enough, simply remove your hand from the plate. Since we want to be fair and accommodate everyone, you will be limited to five past lives only. Thank you. Place your hand on the plate now. What the hell is this? Elizabeth! Time for supper, darling. Be there in a moment, Mumsy. What the hell's going on here? Uh, uh. YEAH! Ah! That clip is oh, there we go. That clip is from a, an older movie called "Defending Your Life" with Meryl Streep and Albert Brooks, and they're actually uh, in the process of uh, either going on to heaven or being reincarnated. Now, I don't believe in reincarnation, but I thought it was a good example of how we look at ourselves and our past lives. Now, we may not be reincarnated, but we all have a past, and we all have lives that we have lived. Now, in that story that we saw or that clip that we saw Elber Brooks character who in the movie is just kind of a loser he hasn't done anything exciting hasn't really lived life hasn't done anything uh noble or uh just worth mentioning uh he saw himself as someone running away from a line almost to be eaten Meryl Streep's character sees herself as Prince Valiant someone who uh had achieved a lot of things in her character in the movie had done just amazing things saved people really helped people When we look at our life, sometimes we just look at at our past basically as a series of mistakes. And we look at the pain that we've experienced and the situations that we've lived through, and we let that define us. And we let ourselves uh, be defined by that in a way so that when we get to know someone else and when someone else gets to know us, uh, when we fall in love, when we uh, get married, that's who we share with our spouse. That's the person they get to know. They get to know the person who is basically a series of mistakes, a series of failures, a series of, uh, well, a a series of uh, past lives. I think God has something much more uh, incredible in store for us. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. How do we truly know ourselves? How do we truly know God? And how do we truly know our spouse? To know is kind of the theme of tonight and to know is a biblical euphemism for sex Uh, it's probably the oldest euphemism for sex now there's hundreds and thousands of them now but it's probably the oldest in the book of genesis adam knew his wife eve and that was a, a biblical way of telling us that they had sex and eventually they conceived their first two children cain and abel well it's a very important Euphemism. It wasn't just used as a uh, you know way to skirt around the issue. I believe it was used as a way to help us understand what sex is really about. It's really a window into the nature and into the personhood of our partner and ourselves. And I believe ultimately to God. Today, I want to kind of frame the work that we're going to do, looking at how we know ourselves, how we know God, how we know each other. Through the book of Hosea. Now, if you can learn about sex anyway, of course, it's through an Old Testament minor prophet. I was trying, that would, that would have been really funny in seminary, I guess, but not, not too much here. So if we look in the Old Testament and we look at the book of Hosea, we're going to learn a whole bunch of things, I believe, about what God intends for us to know when it comes to sex, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to our personhood. Uh, To get there first, though, we need to have a little bit of history, obviously, uh, to lead us up to that point. Last week, we read from Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Solomon was a king in Israel that lived between about 970 and 930. If you were watching before service, it uh, it actually said how long had Solomon ruled, 40 years, from 970 B.C. to 930 B.C. Solomon was an exceptionally wise king. He actually prayed for God to give him wisdom, and God granted him wisdom. And he was, for the most part, a wise ruler. He was uh, gifted, and he was actually able to build the temple, something his father wanted to do. His father, King David, uh, David that slew Goliath, David who united the kingdom of Israel, his father wanted to build this monument, this just uh, incredible place to honor God, God's temple, God's house. But David, of course, in his sin, was not allowed to do that. But Solomon was. So Solomon built this beautiful temple. And I I think there's a picture of uh, at least a model of it up here, Andrew, if you can go. Thank you, sir. Uh, That's just the inner temple. Uh, If you look at some greater models, there would be exterior walls too. It was actually one of the largest structures uh, in the time that it was built. Uh, And probably even today it would have been one of the uh, larger structures. But, of course, uh, it's been destroyed. That temple was a place where Israel, where God's children, could come to know God. In the very tall part and in the inner uh, part of that uh, room was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And so it was literally the place where God was. And so if you wanted to experience God, if you wanted to get to know God, you had to go to the temple. And hundreds and thousands of people, Jews and Gentiles, came to to Jerusalem to see this wonderful, wonderful place. Now, last week, we talked a little bit about King Solomon, and King Solomon had a problem, uh, the major one of which was he loved a little too much. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, that wasn't necessarily a problem in itself. The big problem that God had, at least that we know, was that Solomon started worshiping some of the gods of his wives and he started forgetting that God was his God. And so his sons, who were children of those various wives, started believing the things their mothers had taught them about Baal and other types of gods that lived in that Canaanite area. And so his sons, who ruled Israel for a couple hundred years after his life, weren't very good kings. And they actually drove the kingdom of Israel basically into ruin. And so God sends prophets, people that God talks to, to share with the people of Israel what God is thinking, share ways that God could, or the people could actually come to know God. And so around 700 BC, God sends Hosea, a prophet, into the northern kingdom of Israel because uh, a few hundred years after King Solomon died, the kingdom was split north and south. So God sends Hosea, But he sends him in a very strange way. And you're probably wondering, what on earth does this have to do with sex or relationships? You'll hopefully get a sense of it here early. Let's look at Hosea 1, uh, verses 2 through 9. And we'll come back and look at a little bit later in Hosea. If you have your Bibles with you, it's in the Old Testament. Just a little bit after Psalms. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute. We should probably stop right there. <laughs> now, you may be familiar with prophets, or maybe that's a new term to you. But in the Old Testament, there were a lot of prophets. There were major prophets: Isaiah, Jeremiah. These were men that just uh, just stood up as the mouthpiece of God. God would speak to them and share with them marvelous visions. We know of prophets like Jonah. Jonah was told, go and share my message. And Jonah didn't listen. And now we have minor prophets, that uh, the prophets of 12 that we have in the end of the Old Testament. And their prophecies are just great and powerful. But here Hosea is told to go marry a prostitute. That is the great words that he has been given from God. So let's keep reading. Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. We'll talk a little bit about what exactly that means. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaam, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. The Lord said, Name the child Jezreel, for I am about to punish King Judah's, uh, King Jehu's excuse me, dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. Soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. The Lord said to Hosea, "'Name your daughter not loved, "'for I will no longer show the people of Israel or forgive them, "'but I will show love to the people of Judah. "'I will free them from their enemies.' not with weapons or armies or horses or charioteers, but with the power as the Lord their God. After Gomer had we, uh, weaned her second child, she, began, uh, she became pregnant again and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord said, Name him not my people, for Israel is not my people, and I am not their God. I want to talk a little bit about what's actually happening here. Now, we'll talk about maybe the prophecy a little bit later, but there's something very powerful happening in Hosea's life. God tells him, go marry this prostitute. And God tells him this, she will cheat on you, and she will have children off of those affairs, and you will raise those children. So that's what Hosea does. He goes and marries Gomer. And after a while, she cheats on him, and she gets pregnant, and she has a child that's not Hosea's. Hosea forgives her, takes her back in, but after a while, she goes cheats on him again, has another child by another person, not Hosea, Hosea forgives her. And then a third time, she goes and has an affair, at least least three, we don't know, has a third child by a third man. Hosea forgives her, takes her back in. And then we get to the end of the story, and Gomer goes missing. This happens a little bit later. Hosea wakes up one day, and Gomer isn't there. He goes searching for three days. He searches through his hometown, through the marketplaces, through houses, through probably some of the worst parts of town to find his wife, Gomer. And eventually he finds her down by the docks, down by the slave ships, and he finds her in chains. We don't know how she got there, but she had somehow managed to get herself sold into slavery that's what's going on in this story it's sometimes hard to hear between the uh, prose and the uh, kind of poetic nature of the book but that's actually if you kind of dissect it with a microscope that's actually what's happening to Hosea and Gomer he's asked to marry this prostitute she cheats on him three times and then she goes missing and is eventually found back into slavery back into the life she gave up I want to talk about these two characters because I believe they hold some very powerful insights into who we are and who we are in our relationship. Some of us probably feel like Hosea. Some of us have probably been hurt time and time again. And we've tried to forgive, and it gets harder and harder and harder to do that. Some of us may feel like Gomer, and probably more of us feel like Gomer, maybe not because we've cheated on our spouses three times and had three children, out of those affairs, but because we all realize that when we try to outrun our past, sometimes it catches up to us. Sometimes the mistakes we made just are too hard to outrun and too powerful to get away from. And that's what's happening to Gomer. She's trying to outrun her past. She's trying to forget that, yes, she was a prostitute, but now she's a housewife. And she gets into this vicious, vicious cycle. And it's a cycle of shame that uh, we know in our, in our modern science is something that really sets in from a young age. Shame, the uh, sense of self that tells us that we're not good, that uh, we're not good enough, that we're failures, that emotion, that, that inner feeling of shame is recognized as soon as we're about two years old. So... Our minds, our hearts, however you want to think of that, uh, psychology has taught us that a two-year-old child can recognize and acknowledge shame. And most of us have stories, and some of us even very painful stories, growing up in uh, a home or growing up in an area where we were constantly shamed, constantly put down, told we weren't good enough. Maybe it doesn't happen in your home, but... Maybe it happened at school. Maybe you were uh, you know, not good enough to make a team or not good enough to be in a certain circle or you, know, you, you were constantly made fun of because of you wear know, you glasses or braces. We talked a little bit about that at a party last night, having to wear braces. And all of that creates in ourself that sense of shame. And unfortunately, that creates some very negative processes for how we deal with pain. And that's what Gomer is experiencing. Uh, If you look up there, I think I have a little chart that says, pain plus pleasure equals bondage. Let me explain that because it's very important, and this is a cycle that most of us enter into. We all experience pain. Unfortunately, a lot of people, when they experience pain, look to escape that pain by seeking pleasure. And we're talking about sex today, of course. And so that is a very uh, powerful way to escape pain by getting into a relationship, however that looks. And that's exactly what's happening to Gomer. Gomer had a horrible amount of pain. I mean, you can just imagine, we don't know too much about her, but we know a lot about that area, the ancient Near East 3,000 years ago. And we know that Gomer was probably sold into slavery 13, 12, maybe even 11 or 10. And so she was sold as a prostitute, not because of something she did, but basically because of the time she lived in. Maybe her parents couldn't afford to feed her. Or maybe they just needed money to pay for something else. It was not uncommon for parents to sell their children. Unfortunately, this is not something that's gone away. Human trafficking is still a very powerful issue. I was just listening on the radio, and they said they're trying to get a whole bunch of marshals and uh, other, uh, you know, federal agents around the Super Bowl because they're afraid that human trafficking is going to occur, that people are going to bring young women from other countries and sell them as prostitutes during those Super Bowl celebrations. So that's still happening. And you can imagine if that's your whole life, that's part of your identity. And that pain is a real and powerful pain. You don't have any control over it, but that's your life. Someone has forced you into this terrible, terrible profession, turning something beautiful and wonderful like sex into something demeaning and something painful. And so that's what Gomer's going through. And she gets this opportunity to live a good life as Hosea's wife. But unfortunately, she doesn't know how to live that life. She doesn't know enough about herself or about Hosea or even about God to really know how to be a good wife. And so when that pain comes and catches up to her, she does what she knows best and she goes sleeps with someone else. She meets pain with pleasure and she ends up in bondage. She literally ends up in chains, in bondage. But you can think of it as emotional bondage or spiritual bondage. We've talked about that a little bit in the last couple weeks. And that is a option that most of us take when faced with pain. We look for pleasure elsewhere, and we end up really in worse shape than we were before. But that's not the end of the story. There's always grace. And so we look to the third chapter of Hosea for the conclusion, at least of this little vignette. Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley, and a measure of wine. I said to her, You must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, You will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even me. This shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or prince, without sacrifices, sacred pillars or priests, or even idols. But afterwards, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and David's descendant their king. In the last days they will tremble in awe of the Lord and his goodness. For Hosea and Gomer, the conclusion of the story is a beautiful and wonderful thing. Hosea, having found his wife, not just sleeping with another man, but literally sold back into her past life. Literally in bondage because of her actions, in chains, being sold into slavery. You can imagine if you were Hosea, the kind of feelings and the emotions that you would have inside you that anger and that hatred, that sense of betrayal. And I'm sure at least once he thought to himself, this is her doing. She got there herself. So I'm just going to leave her. But he doesn't. Hosea pays the price for Gomer and gives her another chance. Gives her a chance at the life that he knows that she needs to live. He continues to love her, continues to support her, even though she didn't care herself or care much for herself. Now God asked Hosea to do this to illustrate to the people of Israel that even though they had cheated on him with false gods and idols and worshiping other countries' deities, that God would eventually buy them back. This is how it literally happened in Israel. The northern kingdom, the kingdom Hosea and Gomer lived in, was invaded by Assyria just a few decades after this book was written. Then later, the southern kingdom, where uh, the rest of the Israelite people were, would be invaded by Babylon. And many of the leaders and priests and scribes would be taken to Babylon and be in exile. So not only were they oppressed and conquered by another nation, they were literally taken away from their home and forced to live as exiles in Babylon. But God saved Israel. God sent a king that would usher them back into their home, the land that God had promised them. And they rebuilt that temple that the Babylonians destroyed. So that the time that Jesus was born, that temple was there. And that's the rest of the story for us as Christians. God didn't just save the children of Israel and send them back into the land, and that was the end of the story. A couple hundred years passed, and God sent his son through the people of Israel. And his son Jesus grew up and taught us what it meant to know God. God helped us experience God through Jesus Christ. Jesus was God, is God, but really was that window to the divine. All throughout the New Testament, we see that we can understand who God is through Jesus. And ultimately, when God found us in bondage, Jesus would pay the price for us on the cross years after he was born. And that's the good news of the story Christ paid that price. Just like Hosea paid the price for Gomer, Christ paid the price for you and me so that no one has to pay that price for you, so that no one has to live in bondage. What's that have to do with good sex? What's that have to do with relationships? You can't live a healthy, productive relationship if you're living in this cycle of pain, if you're living in bondage. The only way to truly come to know yourself and know your spouse, know your partner, is through freedom. First, we have to confront ourselves. I think that's a very powerful, important thing. We have to know ourselves. Gomer had to realize where she had come from, the pain that she dealt with every single day. She couldn't run away from it. She had to confront it. She had to know it, and that is a difficult and hard thing to relive your pain. But sometimes it's necessary if we find ourselves in bondage. We really have to confront it. We really have to stand up to our pain. And this is how we do it. We don't just experience it and cry over it and feel bad about it. We have to look at our pain through God's eyes. God doesn't cause pain in our lives. I want you to hear that very clearly. I do not believe that. God does not cause us pain. And the things that happen in our lives are not some grand scheme for God to hurt us over and over again. But God can take any painful experience, whether we caused it or someone else caused it, upon us and can help us find purpose in it. And that is the key. I think you'll see a little graph up there just like the previous one. Pain plus purpose equals freedom. And that is what Hosea offered Gomer in the end. He offered her freedom. He gave her life a purpose. Something she couldn't find before. Now years ago I found myself in a very similar situation. The girl I was dating cheated on me. Cheated on me with a friend, which was even more painful. I know some of you have experienced that, and some of you have experienced that in your marriages. And there's probably nothing more painful than being betrayed and hurt by your partner. But in that moment when I was confronted with that, when she admitted to me that she had cheated on me, I searched deep within myself, and I tried to pull out what I wanted to feel, probably what Hosea wanted to feel when he saw Gomer in chains that anger, that frustration, that sense of betrayal. But God was working in me, thankfully, and God is working within all of us. And all I found when I truly dug within myself was God. And it was in that moment that I truly accepted Christ. It's a strange conversion story, but you're stuck with the ones you get. And it was in that moment when I truly came to understand the nature of God. Because as I was able to forgive someone else, and I was able to forgive her and that friend, and I'm still close to both of them today, obviously we're not in a relationship the same way we were, but we are still friends. But in that moment, I was able to understand that God loved me, that God paid the price for all the mistakes that I had made, for all the pain that I had met with pleasure instead of purpose. And it was on that day that I knew that God was calling me into ministry. And so I took that pain and I found purpose for it. In that moment, that very painful moment, I was able to understand that God loved me, that Christ died for me, and that God was calling me into ministry. And that has brought me a great sense of freedom. And so I want to encourage all of you, no matter where you are, no matter how much you've been hurt, no matter how much pain is in your life, that God doesn't see you as a series of mistakes. God doesn't see you as a cycle of failure. God sees you for who you are. He accepts all of that. And God is ready to forgive you and take you back. And God's actually already paid the price God isn't waiting to pay the price. God has already paid the price through Jesus Christ, through the cross, through the life, death, and resurrection. I believe that this all ties back into our series because if we cannot accept that God loves us, that our partner loves us, even for who we are, we are never going to have a meaningful relationship. We're never going to have that deep, sense of knowing each other, that deep sense of intimacy which we've been talking about. The key to all of this is truly understanding not only your partner, but really yourself. And knowing God has been part of your life for all of it. I believe that good sex, truly good sex, comes from being able to confront your past, find purpose for it, and experiencing the freedom that that brings with your partner. God wants us all to know how much we are loved and how great a plan he has for each and every one of us. Well, you'll see in your, uh, what, are we, what did we call this, a pamphlet today? We're still, still looking for names. There are some things you can do with uh, your partner, with your spouse at home some ways that you can maybe confront this. I encourage you to read this book of Hosea, uh, just a wonderful, wonderful story of redemption. And if Gomer can find redemption, if the people of Israel can find redemption after all the wrong things they've done, certainly we can find redemption, and we already have through Jesus Christ. So I encourage you to do that. And I know not only myself, but everyone else I think is probably looking forward to not talking about sex for a few weeks. <laughs> but I hope you've enjoyed this, and, and I hope it has brought you closer together. I well, thank you, amen. As we transition now, um, the band's going to come forward, I think. I'm not sure. I'm going to talk about a song they're going to sing, so uh, it would be great if they did. A couple things as they're coming forward. In your pamphlet, uh, you'll see a little green and white card. You can actually uh, tear that right off. Take some time, fill this out. Uh, If you are a guest, uh, please fill one of these out. Uh, This gives us your information so we have a way to contact you. On the back, you'll see uh, another opportunity for prayer requests. Uh, Feel free to do that. We will pray for them. Uh, Any comments or uh, any ways that you'd like to serve, there's a lot of opportunities for service here. Uh, so great, great opportunities, and feel free to talk to us about that, uh, wonderful ways that you can serve and get involved in our community. So please uh, fill one of these out. You can put it in the offering baskets. They'll be coming around here in just a second, or uh, put it in the uh, information desk in the front. The band's going to start tonight with the song Angel by Sarah McLaughlin. and I won't go into all the lyrics. I encourage you just to kind of listen to them and take them in. Uh, But when you get home, maybe even pull up the lyrics on the internet or pull them up on your phone here as you're sitting here and look along with them because I really believe that this song truly speaks to, well, how we feel like Gomer sometimes. How we've let the pains of our past just define us. How we've let the pains of the past control us. And how we've been controlled by them. But there is hope and there is salvation, and I think the song speaks a little bit about that. So as we listen to this song, the offering plates are going to come around. I encourage you just to uh, give out of the uh, fullness that you've received, Uh, and we thank you for all of your gifts. They're very meaningful to us. Uh, And so I encourage you, as we transition, just prepare yourselves for a time of praising and honoring God. And listen to this song uh, as Gomer might.